If you've been here over the past couple of weeks, you've already heard me say this, but I will say it again without apology or reservation. Before there can be a fresh move of God on any corporate level, there must be a fresh move of God in the hearts of individual believers. And I suspect some of you have had the experience, and others of you may not, of trying to start a fire with wet tinder. Um, in my experience, and I'm not terribly gifted in fire starting if I don't have a torch, um, but it's not an easy thing when the tinder's wet. And as I think about that statement about in order for there to be corporate revival, uh, there must be personal revival. Um, it's sobering to stop and ask myself, I wonder how many times God has sent a spark of revival my way only to land on Tinder that wasn't ready. And again, for me, that's kind of a sobering thought. And it is one that I would invite each of us to wrestle with a bit as we think about time for an eye exam. I am continuing to invite each of us to take a look inward. Resist the temptation again to think about all that needs to change around us, because it's a long list. Um, resist the temptation to think about all the changes that others need to make, because that's also a long list. Instead, I challenge each of us to invite the Holy Spirit of God to show us what needs to change within our own individual heart and mind. Because at least in my case, that's also a long list. And until I can worry, can I can deal with that, probably not in a place to fret too much or nearly as much as I may, about the other lists. Personally, as I've said, I cannot find the right answers for spiritual transformation in my life that is real change if I'm not asking the right questions. I personally am confident the same is true for each of us. And today I'm going to continue to share some thoughts contained in an article called 30 Questions That Lead to Personal Revival by a man named Bill Eliff. And again, this is his stuff. I'm not taking ownership of it, but it's good enough stuff that I felt that I should share it with you. Um, And I would again explain that I invite each of you to grapple with what God has for you in these words. And uh, last week we looked through the first 15 questions, and today we're going to look at the next 15 uh, it's based, drawn all from Ephesians chapters 1 through 6, but specifically looking at Ephesians chapter 5. I started last week by reading some of the first part of Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to do that today, but I was reminded of a couple of things uh, from the Psalms. Psalm 80 verse 18 says, Then we will not turn away from you, revive us, and we will call on your name. And again, to me, that's part of the call I'm issuing, is for us to invite God to revive our individual hearts. It's much more comfortable for me to pray for God to revive all out there. But I'm saying, let's invite God to revive in our own hearts. And then Psalm 85, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And again, I invite you to humbly go before God and invite that Pray that prayer. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And my interpretation of Scripture, God is never reluctant to revive hearts that are willing to be revived. Continue with verse 7. 
Show us your unfailing love and grant us your salvation. So again, leaning into all that God has for us and what he desires to do in us. Uh, again, by quick recap, last week I asked, ended by asking the question, and, and each, of the, each of those categories had three questions underneath it, and we'll come back to that in a bit uh, before I wrap up. But what would change if I were to actively, consciously, consistently strive to be careful, to be intentional, to be wise, to be sober, and to be filled? And it, at the risk of being particularly blunt to you and to myself... If you were here last week or you listened to the message from last week, what changed this week? What what changed as a result of asking or striving to be careful, to be intentional, to be wise, to be sober, to be filmed? I'm not implying that nothing did, but I'm also saying we need to ask ourselves those types of uncomfortable questions. So again, jumping into the next heading today, and it's Be Speaking. And Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 starts out this way. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Speaking to one another, sorry, I didn't go, yeah. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And the first question is, is my life filled with the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs of God? And this is part of that same question Do I know the word of God? And again, those are tied together. But again, I just ask you to think a little bit about what is your life filled with? Is it filled with the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs of God? And as part of that, do I know the word of God? Been doing this a long time. I've rarely encountered someone who said, I know all I need to know about the Word of God. I got it all down. And when they have said that, I was a little bit suspect. But I do wrestle with, do I know enough of it to where it is literally filling my life or saturating my life? Again, there are countless passages that speak to this, and I'm not going to list passages for every question. But I was reminded of some familiar stuff when I thought about what fills my life, and do I know the Word of God? I thought about Psalm 119, the, the second block, verses 9 through 16. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. And again, hard to live according to his word if I don't know what his word is. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. To you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts precepts, and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. If I'm looking to prepare the tinder of my heart for a fresh move of God, then saturating myself 
with his word is probably a really, really good place to start. And then the next question. Am I speaking to others about the truth of God? Now, part of that, because kind of I've done that for a living for a while, it might be tempting to kind of scoot past that. But personally, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this is how I process it, you process it, how God's Spirit prompted you, but I stopped and I thought, about my conversations with people over the course of any given day. And I found myself asking, how much of my conversations are seasoned with the truth of God's word? I'm not saying every time I open my mouth, I need to be quoting scripture. But I do think it needs to season and flavor my conversations and I need to resist the temptation to use God's word when it makes my point and defends my position and neglect his word when it doesn't am I speaking to others about the truth of God and then the third one talks about how we relate to the world around us am I ashamed of the gospel hiding it under a bushel, not boldly proclaiming it. If my life is being transformed by the spark of God's revival stirring in my life, then it stands to reason that others would hear about it. As I, and trust me, I don't proclaim to be a huge student of revival. But the little bit I've read, when people's hearts were being stirred by God, they just couldn't help but talk about it. Hiding under a bushel, not boldly proclaiming it. And trust me, I get, as I look at the world around me, that proclaiming the word of God even in a very polite fashion, is increasingly unpopular. Be speaking. The next one? Be singing. Just question when I say that. Well, I'll go to the first question. Well, the continuation of verse five, chapter 5, verse 19. Sing and make music to the Lord from your heart. Is the Lord's song in my heart? Just a question. Just In this room, how many of you have ever seen me sing on a microphone? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody back there forgot to turn my mic off, right? I'm, and as soon as I realized it, either they fixed it or I stopped singing. All right. It's not about that. It's about God's song, the Lord's song, being 
in my heart. It is at home. Some days. Most days. But again, part of what I invite us to wrestle with is how that reflects the nature of our connection with him. And to me, that kind of sets the stage for the next question. Do I sing even in the midst of the dark days? Now, again, if there were a continuum of those or how we feel about singing, I'm sure we would be all along the way. But I challenge you to wrestle with not here when everybody else is singing and it's a real kumbaya moment. Some of you don't even know what kumbaya is. But anyway, (laughs) all of my illustrations, they're just dated. I can't help myself. (laughs) But my experience is, and I know for some of you, the darker the day, the more you sing. For me, it's the exact opposite. The darker the day, the harder it is for me to sing. But the more I need to. Personally, more information than you want to know. But personally, when I start in a negative thought spiral, the last thing on my mind is singing. But I don't usually get out of the spiral until I start force myself personally. This is not anybody else, but personally force myself to start listening to and singing. I'm rarely going to just bust out in song without some music backing me up, all right? (laughs) Because sometimes I don't even like what I hear. I know God loves it, and I'm good with that. But but seriously, for me, the darker the day, the less I want to sing, but the more that I need to sing. Ironically, the worship team had no idea what I was about to say, but we talked about that this morning in terms of saying there are days, I mean, there are days the folks up here, probably the last thing they wanted to do was get up here and stand and put a microphone in front of their face and sing to you because... They were in a dark time, but they do it. Kathleen used the phrase, a sacrifice of praise. And again, when I read that, be singing, um, I, I love that thought when I feel like singing. I don't like it so much when I don't. But the reality is, if I'm going to see my heart revived, I need to lean into that. And this is the next part of it. Is my song directed to the Lord in gratitude and thanksgiving? Now, first of all, we talk about it. Personally, for me, it's a really hard place to get to, that I'm singing to the Lord. If you think my singing stinks, that's okay, because he doesn't. I, I, I understand that's part of what we say there, but, but for me to come to realize is when it says be singing, I need to realize my singing blesses him. 
And, and wait, wait a minute. In case you missed it, your singing blesses him. Okay? Not just mine. But your singing blesses him. And if you're not used to singing, it blesses him all the more. I suspect if you don't want to sing, it blesses him even more than that. Because he understands you're making a clear, conscious, intentional effort. Is my song directed to the Lord? For me to come to understand, when I come here on Sunday morning, or when I turn on the radio in my basement, or in my my um, throne of solitude at the house, and I listen to music, and I sing along with it, I'm directing it to him. If somebody else gets to hear it, that's a bonus. But that's not what it's about. And then it goes on, it says, Is my song directed to the Lord in gratitude and thanksgiving? Uh, We're going to talk about be thankful next. But the harsh reality there is, and I know, I know some of you are hurting right now. That's the case pretty much every Sunday we come here. Somebody's hurting. And there's a continuum of hurt and a continuum of joy. But God is always, if I'm singing to the Lord, he is always deserving of my gratitude and thanksgiving. No matter, I mean, again, we joke about it, and some days it's not terribly funny. But if I'm well enough to know that it's a dark day, then I'm in a pretty good place because I'm at least aware that it's a dark day. It means that I know something other than dark days. It means I've known days with more light. It means I have an awareness of what's going on around me. There's always cause for that. And trust me, I'm preaching to the preacher here. Be singing. Is my song directed to the Lord in gratitude and thanksgiving? Be thankful. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I talked to you numerous times over the, over the years that if I had editorial privilege, some things in Scripture would be different. I probably wouldn't say always. I'd say, give thanks to God the Father some of the time for the things that make you happy and feel good. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Anybody else find that much more acceptable? Unfortunately, I was never consulted. Um, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks. I suspect, and and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you've had this experience. I suspect most of the time, if most people were asked, are you thankful, we'd probably say yes. I mean, rarely you're going to say, are you thankful? No, I'm not thankful for anything. I'm just really angry, miserable all the time. Usually, we can come up with something. But always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And trust me, I get that it hurts really bad sometimes. It may hurt really bad right now. 
Be thankful. Do people say of my life that I am thankful, marked by continual gratitude? If the people who knew you best, who spent the most time with you, had the opportunity to answer that question confidentially, would they say, oh yeah, Steve is just always thankful. His life is marked by continual gratitude. It just radiates off from him. As I thought about that, I thought, do people hear me express more thankfulness and gratitude, or do they hear me express more complaints and fussing? Just a thought. As I started to think about people in my circle, And what they might say about me, what they hear me talk about, it was rather convicting for me to think, you know what? They probably don't hear nearly enough thankfulness from me and a lot more lament. I, a lo, lament sounds much better than complaining. Does anybody else agree? Okay, there's even a book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's got to be a good thing, right? Of course, it was written by the guy called the Weeping Prophet. But anyway, um, but just just ask God to help you wrestle with that a bit. Do people say of my life that I'm thankful, marked by continual gratitude? Some of you know there are people that you have had in your life over time that you have gradually, intentionally distanced yourself from because they just suck the life out of you. Lord, help me not to be that guy. Do I give thanks in all things? Am I mature enough to give thanks in hard times, recognizing that God knows what he's doing and that he's working all things together for good, for our good? Do I give thanks in all things? Am I mature enough to give thanks in the hard times, recognizing that God knows what he's doing? And he is working all things together for our good. At least in my experience, God has a rather unique capacity to come up beside me when I need it most and just flick me in the back of the head. (laughs) Yesterday, (laughs) sometimes I need it. Most times I need it. Most times everybody should probably do it. But anyway. But give thanks in all things. Yesterday, one of my devotionals was all about trusting him. And then I read that question after I was went back to work on my notes. Am I mature enough to give thanks in the hard times, recognizing God knows what's best, and he's working all things together for our good? I, I can't answer that for you. But I think it's something we all have to wrestle with. And the last one. Do I recognize that every good and perfect thing I have in my life comes from our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Father? Again, sometimes 
it can be really tempting to take credit in our lives for the things that go well and blame God for the things that don't. When in essence, it's probably the exact opposite. The stuff that goes well, that's all from Him. The stuff that doesn't go well, I just haven't seen the end of the story yet. And I may not. Again, sometimes all the good he has for us may not be fully realized on this side of eternity. I've told you countless times over about my mother's prayers for me that she never lived to see come to fruition because she died relatively young. And I think, am I willing to be thankful and trust him and recognize that every good and perfect thing I have in my life comes from our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Father? Be submissive. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5, 21. Is my life marked by the sweet aroma of authentic humility? I said this already with regard to gratitude and thankfulness. But if people had a checklist to evaluate you, would humility be one of the boxes they'd check? That it just radiates off from you. Genuine humility. I'm going to come back to this next week. Uh, there's another article that I'm going to share that talks about the heart that God revives. And it, and it literally, we're going to walk through it. And it really, I shouldn't tell you this, maybe it'll influence your decision to come. But anyway, I'm going to go there anyway. But it really, and again, it's one of those things, when I, when I start working through it, it's like, well, that's not the result I expected. It's basically looking at things in terms of broken people and proud people. And it was like, I started working through it, and it's like, well, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but is my life marked by the sweet aroma of authentic humility? Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 puts it this way, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. If the very Son of God chose humility, how can I expect him to revive my heart if I'm not wrestling with that on a regular basis. 
Am I gladly willing to defer to others, particularly in my home? Am I gladly willing to defer to others, particularly in my home? For most of us, that's a continual struggle. Because a part of my human nature, a part of our human nature, is self-focus. And it can seep in in the subtlest of ways. Personal example. Yesterday, late afternoon, Diana was trimming her fingernails. And she broke out our fingernail trimming kit. And she said, we need to buy a new one because we've had this one forever and they're dull. Now, we have had them a while and they are dull. My immediate retort was, we haven't had them forever. It's only been a few years. That does not change the fact that they're dull and probably time to be replaced. But she just didn't really care, but she said, really? So what was my immediate response? I grabbed my laptop, I opened Amazon, and I started searching my past orders to find out exactly when we had ordered them. And I could tell her, we, we have not had them forever. We've had them since 2016 or 2015 or whatever it was. <laughs> now, why did that matter? The fact is, they're dull. If I bought them yesterday and they're dull, they're dull. Right? But that's how subtly... Now, I share that because we can laugh and it's silly and it's ridiculous. But imagine if it was something that really mattered. How quickly we would have dug, we could have. Don't stay married for 45 years without figuring out some of this stuff. But how quickly we could have dug our trenches and started lobbing grenades at each other. And I just think about how tempting it is for me. God does not refer to his people as stiff-necked and rebellious because submission and deferring to others is our default option. Because it's not, it never has been, it never will be short of the divine intervention of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. But if I want to see revival in my heart, then I've got to deal with this stuff on a daily basis. The stuff we get worked up over says a lot about our heart being prepared for the spark of revival, particularly in our home. I'll leave it at that, but I'm just going to step into it with both feet. As a wife, am I submitting to my husband, gladly giving him authority and leadership? Yes, I went there because Scripture goes there. As a wife, am I submitting to my husband, gladly giving him authority and leadership? And then, as a husband, am I submitting my authority to that of Christ, aggressively loving my wife as he loved the church and gave his life for her?
interestingly enough, again, I just shake my head sometimes with regard to the way God messes with me. I didn't save it and I didn't put it in here. But I get this weekly email with like the quote of the week. And this week, as I thought about it, trust me, I was tempted to pull that out because it wouldn't have stirred up nearly as much thought. But it said, husbands, surely you will die for your wives, but will you wash the dishes? (laughs) (laughs) Or will you put the seat down? I don't know. Uh, But again, it's very, 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 very natural for us to look around Excuse me. It's very, very natural for me to look around and see who also be, should be submitting. It's a whole nother ball game to look in the mirror at the beginning of a day and at the end of the day and ask myself, have I walked with an attitude of submission? Aggressively loving others the way Christ loved his church. Again, I don't have answers for you. Some of you probably don't even want to ask the question. But if we really want to see our hearts stirred, I think these questions help maybe dry the tinder out a bit to where maybe a spark could catch. Be fearful. Again, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21, the second part. And just wrestle with it, friends. Am I walking in the fear of Christ? Do I treat him and his commands and calling respectfully or flippantly? And I would just throw in there, uh, because you may not think you're being flippant, but maybe we could say, do I treat him and his commands and calling respectfully, casually, or flippantly? Again, I've spent my adult life teaching Scripture. And I love to emphasize how much Jesus loves us and how much he wants to forgive us and how much he wants to change us and all that he has done for us. But there is another part of that that is not nearly as appealing. And that's that he is still God. And he is always worthy of my respect. And sometimes that respect is reverential fear because he is still God. Yes, he died for me, but there are consequences when I choose to live in defiance. Am I walking in the fear of Christ? Now, again, I'm not saying he's going to smite you, strike you down with a bolt of lightning because you look at somebody cross-eyed, but I am saying don't ever lose sight. Excuse me, we should never lose sight of who he is and what he represents, a divine, perfectly holy, sovereign creator of the universe. Do I give him constant and reverential fear? Again, sometimes we just kind of get going and we lose sight of where we're going. Proverbs 1, 7 puts it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. That beginning of the process is understanding just how awe-inspiring, 
Awe-inspiring is, ooh, isn't that pretty? Awe-inspiring is, oh my goodness, look at how powerful that is. Some of you know you used to have a really big dog. And some people found her awe-inspiring. Some people, it was terrifying. Some people were, oh, that's a really cool big dog. God's both. He is awe-inspiring in that just the magnitude of his majesty, but he is also awe-inspiring in the magnitude of his capacity to hold us responsible and bring wrath and judgment. Last one. Is it evident to all around me that whatever God says to me is what I will do, gladly recognizing his lordship in my life? Is it evident to all around me that whatever God says to me is what I will do, gladly recognizing his lordship in my life? I've been transparent with you. I've tried to be transparent with you over the years. But wrestling with having him be Lord has never gone away. I love him. I've served him. I'm glad to serve him. I'm blessed by him. But there are still times when we have to have some intense fellowship over who's really in charge. And funny thing is, he always wins that one. But I have to work through it. So, same place we left off last week. What would change if I were to actively, consciously, consistently strive to be speaking, to be singing, to be thankful, to be submissive, to be fearful? Uh, recap, what would change if I were to actively, consciously, consistently strive to be careful, to be intentional, to be wise, to be sober, and to be filled? I struggled with what to do when I got to this point. And I really thought today's message would be shorter than last week's. Um, but apparently it's not. But I went back to the original article, and I'm going to end the way he ended. And these are quotes. He said, walk back through this list and turn every question into a prayer for your life or the lives of those who God brings to mind. Ruthlessly deal with anything that is aborting God's presence and power in your life and realize that as a spiritual leader, which you all are, As a spiritual leader, everything depends upon living, not visiting, but living in personal revival. And this is his prayer, and I invite you to close your eyes and pray with me. Father, thank you that you have designed a way for me to walk intimately with you. Search my heart. And show me anything that is hindering a life filled with you. Lead me in your everlasting way. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Michelle.